The Old Testament reading is from Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is uh, written in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we certainly shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we, no, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So a few weeks ago, in, uh, was probably about a month ago, in adult Bible study, we were talking about uh, what we were going to uh, study next, what we were going to look at next. And um, 
uh, one of the people in the uh, adult Bible study, and I think it was Bob Whipke, and tell me, Bob, if I'm misremembering this, uh, suggested that we look at the book of Jonah. And anyway, I decided that we weren't going to, we, I'd rather do that uh, in the sermon. Uh, so that's what I want to do for the next few months, is to read through the book of Jonah together, if that's okay. There's three levels. There's sort of three, for, for those of you who have like read the Bible for a long time, there's, there's sort of three levels to your reading of Jonah. And the one is the level when you're a little kid and, uh, you know, you hear about it in Sunday school. And basically, it, we, you know, we read that story in Sunday school because um, uh, it's the crazy part about the big fish and everything. And that's kind of what you remember, you know, it's the guy gets swallowed by the whale and then spit up again. And then, but so there's another level that's a lot of us just stop there because, okay, that's entertaining when you're a little kid. And then, you know, what are you going to do with that? You got swallowed by a fish. You should obey God, right? But also maybe some of us are kind of embarrassed because it's kind of a weird story and it's the kind of thing that's not easy to believe, right? But there's a second level. If you read Jonah again as an adult, uh, in the, on, on the second level, it's just the fascination of a great story. And Jonah is a fantastic story. So there's two parts. There's two parts to Jonah. There's the first part, God calls him and sends him on a mission, and he doesn't want to do it, and he's forced to do it. And then God teaches him grace through some sort of like natural phenomenon. The first part of the story is the big fish. The second part of the story starts out exactly the same way. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah saying, go on this mission again. Doesn't really want to do it. He does it. God teaches him grace. So these two parts, and they, they, they work together. And Jonah's response is different in both parts. In the first part, uh, his reasons for not really wanting to be on mission are uh, largely, uh, uh, I can't think of a good word. Rebellious is maybe a good word. He just kind of wants to get out of there. You know, I don't want to obey God. In the second part, he doesn't want to be on mission, but it's more legalistic. He has legalistic reasons for wanting to be on mission, not be on mission. So we'll look at both of these things and play them off of each other as we study this. There's also just tons of themes that run throughout here. Apostasy is a big one. What does it mean to like abandon God as a believer? Mission, of course, is a big one. God calls Jonah to be on a mission and he doesn't want to do it. Mercy? How does God get his mercy to me and you? That's one too. And of course, the biggest theme, there's lots of others, but the biggest theme of all, of course, is um, the question of God. Who is God? What does God need from us, his creatures? Is it possible for God to be both holy and merciful at the same time? These are big questions that are um, worth exploring, and we will. Also, there's this, there's, the thing about one of the things about Jonah is, in spite of the fact that it's like a popular little kid Sunday school uh, story, there's unanswered questions in it. There's stuff that the narrative brings up; it just doesn't answer. Like it raises questions that it doesn't answer. Have you ever read a story like this or seen a movie that does this to you? Uh, I've been talking about old movies lately, so I'll just talk about another one. Uh, so, Gone with the Wind is it ends like this, right? So Gone with the Wind is about the, the relationship between these two, uh, two people. Well, there's a, a bunch of people. But one of the big relationships in there is between this husband and wife, uh, Rhett Butler and Scarlett O'Hara. And it's definitely like up and down and back and forth. It's not, it's not just a good... There's questions throughout all of their... Or, or are, are they going to stay together? And at the very end of the movie, Rhett Butler walks out on her famously, right? And uh, 
Scarlet kind of turns around and she's super sad because she begged him to stay and he decided he was going to leave her. But, you know, the last lines have something to do with like, she's going to make it. And there's this question, is he going to come back eventually? You know, they, they don't die. The story goes on outside of the story, if such a thing is possible. And the question is, are, are they going to get back together again? And is the cycle going to continue? But you don't know because it ends with them separating. And what it does is it forces you as the reader to ask the question, are they going to get back together? Should they even get back together? What would that look like if they did get back together? What would they each have to give up in order for this marriage to work? And before you know it, your values are like, the the author is pulling your values out of you to decide what to do with the story that she didn't end. It's a great narrative trick. Jonah ends the same way. Jonah, like the parable of the prodigal son, ends with God asking a question. What are you going to do, Jonah? And there's no answer. It, it literally ends with a question. What, what are you going to do if I want to show? If I want to show mercy to this great city, why can't I do it? And that sort, of, that sort of narrative trick will pull out of us idols of our own heart, questions that we have about the value of holiness or about the value of mission. So Jonah's worth, Jonah's worth reading. And that's, that's all the uh, introduction I'm going to give you to the book of Jonah is, is that. It's worth exploring. So, um, oh yeah, it's, I'm sorry. There's one more level, right? So the first level is the, thanks Marla. There's the first level is the Sunday school level. The second level is this sort of like rich narrative. Rich, rich narrative, but also theologically rich. And uh, in many ways, ambiguous. That if you're any kind of a reader at all, it's the kind of thing that will pull you in. But the third level is this, and maybe the most important level. This is stupid of me to forget this. What we're going to do is we're going to read Jonah in a Christ-centered way. And the reason why we're going to do that is because Christ himself insists that the story is about him. So there's a bit in Matthew where Jesus is confronted by the religious majority. And they basically say, you know, you're going to have to prove it to us that you're really on God's side. We, we, need, some, we need some cred here. We need some, we need some uh, proof. And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you any sign. Let me quote from Matthew 12. I'm not going to give you any sign except for the sign of Noah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So I'm going to give you a sign, and the sign is Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three Like, What does it have to do with Jesus' death? I know there's the three days and three nights thing. But just that, but, you know, is Jesus like kind of randomly searching his brain through text in the Old Testament that had the number three in them. He's like, oh, three. I know something that's got three in it. Jonah. There you go. That's your... No, he's not doing that. What he's saying is, is that what Jonah was doing, the book of Jonah is doing in the Old Testament canon, what Jonah the prophet was doing, I'm going to do that. And when I die and when I'm buried, you remember Jonah. That's going to be your sign that what I'm doing is credentialed by God. What does that even mean? I'm not going to talk about it right now because we'll unpack it later. We'll, t- we'll talk about it a little bit. Except for just to say this. Like, so the, the unanswered question this right now is, how is Jesus fulfilling Jonah? How, does Je- how is Jesus' burial and resurrection fulfilling the story of Jonah? That's the unanswered question. But the foundational thing that you need to know right now is that Jesus gives us the right to interpret Jonah to be about him. All right? So we'll do that over the course of the next couple months. And as we do, we'll slowly unpack 
what does Jesus' death and resurrection have to do with Jonah being swallowed by the fish and spit up? Okay. So let's look at verses 1 uh, through 6 again in chapter 1. It's right there in your bulletins. Or you can look, check it out in the Pew Bible if you want to. Uh, so uh, J- verses 1 and 2, uh, Jonah's called to be on mission. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So Jonah's, uh, jo- Jonah's mission is a part... It's, it's very specific, right? Jonah is called to do a very specific thing, to go to a very specific city and deliver a very specific message. It's actually a part of a larger mission that God put his people on in the Old Testament. So it's a broader mission. That every, uh, every, every member of God's people, their individual missions were a part of this broader mission. This broader mission had two parts. Jonah's mission, his individual, individual mission, also going to have two parts. The broader mission... Two parts, and it goes like this. Let me read to you from Exodus chapter 19. This is right before God gives his people the Ten Commandments. And he's telling Israel, this is what I want you to be. This is what I called you. This is what I rescued you for, to be like this. He says this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. You will be my treasured possession. God's people are his treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. I own all the earth. How is that going to, what does that mean for how you and I should act and be and think of ourselves if God's people are his treasured possession, but God also owns the whole world? Well, he says in the next verse, verse six, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these, Moses, are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. These two things, you're to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You are to be a holy nation. God, this, Jonah knew this. Like, he was filled up on this. You, Jonah, are different. You are a member of God's people. You are separate and holy. Your behavior is to be completely other. The way that you move, the way that you walk, the way that you talk, the way that you treat other people, the way, you're, the, the way you think about your sexuality, the way that you think about your money, it's to be completely different than the way the world works. You are to be holy. Here's the Ten Commandments. This is a description of you. You are different and you are holy. Jonah is comfortable with that. He lives and breathes in that world. I am different. And for a lot of us who are told that we are God's holy people, the next easy false step to make is, I am better. I am other, so I am better. I am different, so I am above. I am separate and holy, so I am more significant. In case we are tempted to make that mistake, we are also told that you are a kingdom of priests. Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the second part of the mission. God, you're a kingdom of priests. What, what are pri- priests? I think we just talked about this recently. Priests stand as a conduit between God and his people. You, God's people, Moses says, you are to be that conduit. You are a nation of conduits between God and the rest of the world, which is, which is owned by God. You are to be... It is your job to be on mission. You're to be a holy nation, but you're also supposed to be in and amongst and with everyone else because all the world is mine. You are to be my agents to represent me to the rest of the world. Jonah is very comfortable with the first part of the mission, but he's not comfortable with the second part of the mission. Kingdom of priests, is he's forgotten about that. Holy nation, he's remembered. Kingdom of priests, he's, he's not there. And so what does he do? He runs, look at verse four. Or verse 3, sorry. Um, 
Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We don't really know where Tarshish is. Tarshish is. Best guess is it is uh, in the ancient world, it's, it can be a name for what we today call Spain. The best guess is that, and we know that the Phoenicians uh, were traveling in Jonah's day, you know, in David's day, thousands, a thousand years before Christ, were traveling all over the Mediterranean, uh, making money with trading. So the best guess is that he's trying to go somewhere far away, right? He, he wants to go to Tarshish. So Jonah paid the fare. He finds this ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah's going to run. Jonah's going to run from his, his vocation. You know, why does he do this? I mean, so fundamentally, he, he's forgotten that he's called to be a king, part of the kingdom of priests. Actually, it's, it's quite understandable. Like, Nineveh is, is a little bit more background here for you, just for a few minutes. Nineveh is going to be, it's not necessarily at this time, although it's a big, powerful city, it is going to be uh, the cap, one of the capital cities of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, the Assyrians, it's not the place you want to travel on vacation if you're living in 800 B.C., the Assyrians are notably cruel, famously cruel, in a world where cruelty was the coin of the realm. So uh, Angela and I oh, were at the British Museum in London uh, last year. It, does, that, does that make me sound fancy? I hope so. I was kind of, that was the subtext of that. Thanks, Max. That was kind of the subtext of that. So that, no, at, at the British Museum, there's all these uh, uh, stone reliefs, panels from the, temp, from the, uh, the palaces of the Assyrians. And there's all sorts of crazy pictures on these. I mean, you can Google them and see them. Uh, Really cruel and barbarous things. I've told you some of them about a little bit of them before. The Assyrians were famous for when they let off their captives, running fish hooks through their lips, and then connecting chains to the fish hooks of the people in front of them so that they couldn't run away. Famous for blinding the eyes of their uh, um, ceremonial eye-blinding of their captives. Um, there's pictures, lots, lots and lots of pictures on these reliefs of impaling, of taking prisoners and erecting uh, wooden stakes sharpened at the end, about five foot high, and taking their prisoners and jamming them down on top of those stakes so that they would bleed, slowly bleed to death there, mainly from internal bleeding. There's pictures of them uh, taking prisoners and chopping off both legs and the left arm of their prisoners, and as they were about to bleed to death, leaving their right hand on intact so that they could reach out, the executioner could reach out and shake the hand of the person who was bleeding to death. The Assyrians are cruel. I mean, Jonah knows all this, right? The Assyrians, about 60 years after Jonah's life, are going to overrun Samaria and do exactly these things to Jonah's people. Jonah knows this. In fact, Jonah was a part of, it's interesting, Jonah, this is not the first time he's mentioned in the Bible, he's mentioned in 2 Kings. Jonah is a prophet who helps Jeroboam II erect defenses around the, around the nation of Israel to defend against Assyria. I'm just going to read this to you from uh, 2 Kings 14. So there's this guy, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, he begins to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He does what's evil in the sight of the Lord. So Jeroboam, not a good guy. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the older Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel, which he made Israel to sin. So this is what he did. He restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who is from Gath Hefer. God himself sends Jonah a message to tell Jeroboam, erect defenses to protect. Even though Jeroboam's a bad king, 
erect defenses to protect you from Assyria. That was Jonah's first job, was like to tell the king of Israel, Assyria is dangerous, we need to build walls, better walls. Then God comes to Jonah later on and says, hey, I'm sending you to Nineveh to preach to them. It's hard to blame Jonah for running, you know. It's easy in Sunday school, you know, you're a little kid to say, you're a teacher to say, hey, God told Jonah what to do and Jonah didn't obey. We should obey God, right? So it's not, this is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Like, what if God told you? What if God told you, he's put you on mission, like to the heart of Iran, to preach the gospel? Like, chances are you're hopping a plane somewhere else too, right? It's, it's, it's totally understandable. It's a little hypocritical of me to stand up here and say, hey, you got to be on mission, Jonah. you got to do what God says. I just need to take a second here and repent of my own lack of willingness uh, to be on mission, to be scared of what God's called me to do, to step out of my preconceived notion of what it means to be a member of the people of God and do what he tells me to do. Uh, give me five seconds to do this real quick. They're also, he knows that they're destined to destroy Israel too. And so he knows politically, I'm going up there and it's not going to do any good. In fact, we're not going to look at this now, but in chapter three, he tells God, Dang it, I knew. I knew that if I went there, you would be merciful. And I did not want you to be merciful. That's why I didn't go, God. So we'll get there in chapter three. It's not bad. You know, Jonah's not a bad guy. Jonah's, he's got completely logical reasons for not wanting to go to Nineveh. But as he's running from his vocation, though, he, he actually ends up running from God. Anytime you run from what God has called you to do, you're running from God himself. Twice in verse 3, he says this, right? He says, um, uh, let me read it again. But Joseph rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, literally in Hebrew, from the face of God, from the face of Yahweh. Joseph rose to flee, not from his call. You know, Joseph, it's not just his calling that he's fleeing from. He's fleeing from the face of the Lord. Last line of verse 3, same thing. Just in case you missed it, the author of Jonah hits it with you twice. He paid the fare, went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the face of Yahweh, away from the presence of the Lord. Now Jonah, I mean, Jonah knows, he knows theology, right? He knows that God is omnipresent. There's actually nowhere. He's read the Psalms. He knows that, you know, whither can I go from thy presence or where can I flee? If I make my bed in hell, you're there. Like, he knows that God is everywhere. He's not fleeing from, like, the absolute omnipresent presence of God. He's fleeing from God's special, where he knows that God lives especially. He's got to get out of there. He's avoiding his special presence. Now, why is he doing it? Well, I mean, the surface reason is he doesn't want to go on mission to Nineveh. But actually, there's a reason behind that reason, and the reason is, is that he has a faulty view of God. God has told him what to do, and in his mind, his view of God has always been, God loves me more than everybody else because I'm God's people. God is a God of holiness. Not that God is a God who wants to own the whole world. God is a God who wants to conquer everybody. And what happens is, is like there's this, you know, uh, there's this vision of God that he has that he finds out is wrong. And instead of repent, he has to get away from that God. And this is just another way of making trying to make God in our own image, right? So God says, here's the way I am, here's what I want to do. And we say, okay, I can go with you part of the way on this God, but I can't go with you all the way. I, I'm, I can't 
Like, you're wrong about this. In our culture, it works like this. It's the way it works. I talk to tons of people in the church that, 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 that think like this. We somehow have the notion in the Christian church that, like, if you believe in Jesus, everything's going to go great. Your relationships are going to be great. You're going to be at peace. You're going to be enjoying, you know, I mean, everybody knows that there's hard times, but you're going to be enjoying this sort of like confident, self-assured life. And then when that doesn't happen, we freak out. Like, you know, people who leave the Christian church because I got in a fight with them and I just, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I can't, I can't be with hypocrites. Or people who leave the church because like my child got really, really sick and I prayed and asked God to deliver them and they did and God did we are a dime a dozen. I, I mean, I've, I've left for the same reason, so I'm not like this. I'm cer- certainly sitting in judgment on no one. I, some of you know my story. Like, I got fired from a job as a pastor, and I bailed on Christianity for three years. So, like, I'm not, I'm not sitting in judgment. But what happened to me, what happened to a lot of us who went through this, is what happened to Jonah. Like, there's this vision of God, you know, that if, if you serve the Lord and love Jesus, everything's going to be okay, and everything's not okay. And so if it doesn't comport with my vision of who God is, my vision of who I want God to be, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm bailing. This is what happens to Jonah, right? God's, so for Jonah, he's forgotten this part of God, the merciful part of God, the missional part of God. He's forgotten it. And so he's going to bail. Now, and what's going to happen is that he's going to uh, get in trouble here in a minute. But let me just stop real quick and do a little commercial for this. Okay, it's so important. It's so important for us to have both of these views of God in mind as we exist as St. James Lutheran Church. God is just, he's holy. I find that most LCMS Lutherans are okay with that notion. Like God is different. God is other. God is also merciful, not just to me, but to people who I think don't deserve his mercy. To the Ninevites. To the people who if he gives their mercy, I'm like, dang it, is that right? Just feels like they got away with it, you know? I'm uncomfortable with that. We, so there's a problem. This is not, I'm not airing dirty laundry here or anything like that. But everybody knows, if you're interested in what's going on in the LCMS right now, everybody knows the stats. Our numbers are dropping precipitously. LCMS churches are closing like crazy. And there's some, some, some of the, those are, you know, there's demographic reasons for that. But one of the main reasons for this is we're not missional. We're like Jonah. We've run from God's plan to rescue the world with his gospel, and we're hiding in the bottom of the ship. We've fallen asleep. And if somebody wakes us up and asks us what you're doing, we're like, you know what? We are the holy ones. We're going to preserve ourselves. We are fighting hard to maintain our Lutheran identity here. So th- there's a level, of course, of which, you know, God's not saying to Jonah, like, I'm not holy, really. You know, go on mission because I really don't care. You can go wherever you want. No, God's maintaining his holiness. But if we use that, if we use God's holiness as an excuse to not be missional, then we're going to end up in the storm in the bottom of the boat. And so, like, hold me accountable. I want this to be super practical. Like, when I preach, I need to be, like, my mindset has to be, my mindset as I preach has to be missional. And I need you guys to hold me to this. My mindset has to be Proclaim the word of God and its purity for the sake of the Ninevites, for the sake of the people who walk in here and are struggling. 
for the sake of the people who walk in here and are doubting. And if I, if you catch me using theological jargon, and I will, because it's a bad habit, and I will, because it's a way for me to show that I'm smarter than everybody else, and that's one of my idols, I need to be called on it. I need to, I, somebody needs to come to me and say, what are you doing, sleeper? Wake up, we're about to perish here. And there you are, completely secure in your status as the Holy One. I need you to wake me up. Let's give you another example. We, we need to sing music in here that's, that people can understand. I, I love the Lutheran service book, and there's tons of great hymns in there with great words. But we need somebody, like somebody here, and I've uh, confronted musicians about this, to write music that actually makes sense. People will come in here and they'll sing hymns that some of you, you've sung since you were a little kid and you're totally comfortable with them and they bring back good memories and there's something really appropriate about that. But if an outsider comes in here and sings a lot of the tunes and rhythms that are difficult to sing, it's just hard to understand. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying we need to be on mission and, and need to be thinking about that. We need to be singing stuff. We need to be talking about stuff. We need to be acting ways that are missional. If you're not involved in one of the mercy ministries, you should get involved in one of them. And if you're not, definitely you are commanded by God to be involved in them on your own. Like if this is just about social club stuff to you, like if this is just about we all, we all believe the same things, which I'm super glad for that, for those of you who are, who are believers. I'm super glad for that. But if it's not more than that, if we aren't taking that and going to Nineveh, then we're going to die. We're going to die. That's where we're at. I need you guys to hold me accountable, and I'll try to hold you accountable as well. God's so serious about this that he throws a storm at Jonah. That's actually the word in verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind. That's a good translation because uh, it's supernatural what happens here. God takes a great wind, and he throws it at Jonah on this ship. And he holds, uh, hurls it upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. That's actually... so. In Hebrew, that line, the ship threatened to break up, that's what it says. But in Hebrew, the ship, it's personified. It's the ship is actually saying, hey guys, I'm going to break up here. It's like the ship is warning the sailors that I'm about to crack open the storm. I don't know, I don't have anything really devotional for you. That's just interesting, interesting thing. Then the mariners were afraid, verse 5, and each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Some of you are going to get this, some of you aren't. I'm going to get it because I've been there. You run from God? Are, are, are you like this? Like, in my life when I've been away from God, I've been incredibly sleepy. I don't mean, this is not like some sort of spiritual lesson. I mean physically tired. You, I, I frequently use sleep to avoid my, my own brokenness. Like, it's one of the cues that I'm about to struggle with, like, my, my own brokenness, sometimes depression, anxiety, is I'll start to not be able to sleep at night, and I'll feel like sleeping all day long. How can Jonah be in the middle of the storm and be fast asleep? This is what happens. Like, he is shutting down. He's running from God's call to him. He's running from God himself. And now he's starting to shut down. And so the mariners come to him and say, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. God is going to punish Jonah by throwing this storm at him. Slight excursus here. Every time you go through a storm in life, it does not mean that God is punishing you. Sometimes you go through storms in life 
because that's just the way it is in the broken world. The sailors on the ship are going through a storm in life, and it's not their fault. They're, they're going to realize here at the reading next Sunday. They're all going to come to the realization, it's not, we didn't do anything wrong. Now, indirectly, they're all, you know, I mean, they're, they're worshiping false idols. So indirectly, every storm in our life is our fault. Every death, as John Milton says, belongs to us because we're responsible for it. Like our sin, my personal sin, causes your death. But directly, not every, every storm that you go through is a result of your own rebellion against God. But when you do rebel against God, God cares enough to discipline you. That is the case. And he does that to Jonah here. And I'm sure, like to Jonah in the moment, it feels like punishment. It feels like, I mean, Jonah says this. I'm sure next week Jonah's going to tell the sailors, throw me overboard. That's the only way to get rid of this. I, I don't think that Jonah has in mind that there's any mercy at all in this. Just, I've rebelled against God and I'm, I'm, I'm done for. He will find out that there is mercy because when God disciplines us, he disciplines us for the purpose of mercy. There's mercy in the judgment. Now, just real quick here, and I, I don't want you to take this the way I don't want it to be taken. When you go through storms, you need to ask yourself the question, like, where do I need to repent here? Now, maybe, maybe the storm is caused by you directly. I've told you about my own personal storms that I've caused. You, you run from God, and you're going to be miserable. You're going to be sleepy all day long and awake all night. You're going to be angry. You're going to be bitter. You're going to be frustrated because things don't go the way you want to. Well, of course they don't, Aaron. You're not living, I'm not living my life the way that God has designed it to be lived. You can't stick bread and cheese into a VCR and hope that it makes a grilled cheese sandwich. That's not what it's designed for. You try to plug your life the way that you want to live it into the way that God designed the world to work, and it's not going to turn out. And you have no right to be bitter about the coldness of the bread and the cheese than I do about choosing to live my life in a pagan way and then being miserable. And that's kind of where Jonah is. And so wherever you're at, please, please, soften your hard heart. Repent. Say to God, like, I want to be the way you want me to be. Like, change me and mold me and shape me so that I'm holy and on your mission and not living life the way that I want to. It's not always the case that you, 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 get, you, know, you get sick and God's teaching you, trying to teach you something. That's the way the fallen world is. But it's always appropriate to say, God, help me repent. All of our brokenness. And when I see your suffering, it should be my response. God, help me to repent. I have caused this in some sense. My sin has. Help me to repent. This is where Jonah's at. He needs to repent. He's not there yet. He's at the turning point. He's at the very last spot where he has no hope. His own way of life has not gotten him what he thought it's... His running from God has not gotten him what he thought it's going to do. And now he's completely hopeless. All right, next week we'll talk about what happens. I mean, you know what's going to happen next. But we'll talk about how God responds with mercy. But before we close, let me say this. This will take just a minute here. I told you that Jesus... This story is about Jesus. How is Jesus in the center of this? Well, if you've read the Gospels... You know the story from Matthew chapter 8, right? The story of another guy who was asleep in a boat on a storm. And if you're reading Matthew 8, where it says the disciples are on this fishing boat in the Sea of Galilee, and there's this crazy storm, and they're bailing out the boat, and they're worried about dying, and one of them goes back and says to Jesus, who's asleep in the back of the boat, and says to Jesus, like, wake up, don't you care that we're dying? And you, if you can read that and not think about Jonah, then you're not the reader that I think that you guys are. You should think about Jonah, right? Jesus himself, too, was asleep in a boat. 
a boat that was in a storm, a storm the result of human sin and brokenness, like all storms are. And they wake up Jesus, and Jesus says, do you remember? Jesus wakes up and says, basically, you guys have zero faith. Stop, he says to the storm. Be quiet. And they're like, whoa, this guy's amazing. He can tell the storm to stop. And what does Jesus mean by you have no faith? I mean, it's amazing that Jesus can say to the storm, stop, and it stops. But what does he mean by you have no faith? It's this. For those of you who are Chicago Bulls fans in the 1990s, you knew this. Like when you watched the Bulls play, you knew they were going to win. And you knew, you knew that they were going to win because Michael Jordan was on their team. And he was not going to lose. You knew that. Baltimore Colts fans in the 60s felt the same way about Johnny Unitas. That if we're on this guy's team, there's no way we're going to lose. Uh, me and some of my other cool friends uh, the other night were making fun of Matlock because, uh, so that's talking to you, uh, baby boomers here. Because uh, Matlock's the same way, right? Like it's, eventually it's just boring. Because he's going to try a case and he's not going to win. Oh, yeah, he wins at the end. Like, he wins all the time. You just know he's going to win. It's impossible to lose. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm the creator of the world. The Son of God come to die on a cross and rise from the dead to rescue the world from their sins. Do you actually think this boat's going down? Jesus, with a word, because of the power of his resurrection, Jesus, with a word, can bind you to himself and guarantee that you will never lose. When you're going through the storms of your life, and right now I'm talking specifically about the storms that your own rebellion from God's vocation has caused you, all you have to do is know that with Jesus, there's no way that you're going down. Even with the storm that you yourself caused. That's how powerful he is. As we continue reading Jonah, let's explore this. Let's explore the power of Jesus for our own personal mercy, but to empower us for the vocation of showing that mercy, the mercy, mercy of being rescued from a storm in a weird, totally ridiculous way. But the power of that mercy for other people, spreading it out to other people who have no notion that they could even believe in this sort of nonsense, but they will. That's how powerful the resurrection of mercy, the resurrection mercy of Jesus is. Let's pray. God, help us as we continue reading through Jonah and open our eyes to uh, your son Jesus in this story. We pray this in his name. Amen.